This becomes more, even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he was offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Well, as they are going, it's awesome to see everybody here, of course. Uh, my name is Kendall. I'm usually the one who leads worship, but Josh was able to fill in uh, this week, and we just kind of swapped roles a little bit. Can we all uh, just notice how great Josh's beard looks this week? Looks awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad uh, to see everyone here back together. It feels like it's been forever, then I realize I haven't seen you guys since last year. So, I mean, come on, come on. It's been, it's been a long, long time. Uh, I hope everyone had a great and happy new year to everyone. I hope that it was uh, just stress-free, as ours probably wasn't too much. Um, but yeah, it's great to be here the first, first Sunday of 2022. Uh, for Redemption Hill. Of course, we were at Paramount last week. Uh, we had the Angels, Heatons, and Spitzers were representing at Paramount. It was a really good time, but we all missed you. So hopefully you feel strengthened and rejuvenated after the end of 21, uh, because if you're like any sane Christian, you have some questions for God after these past couple of years, right? I mean, there's, a, there's some crazy cultural shifts happening, and it can quite frankly leave us in a state of mind that feels like what we're doing here as a church plant isn't doing much, right? We can read the news. We can, we can see what's happening in our culture. And what are we doing, right? It, we're, we're just a small group of people, and is what we're doing matters. But praise God that we serve the one true God who invites us to cast our worries and our cares onto him. So today, as we dive into Psalm 110 and into the year 2022, I want us to completely cast our worries and our cares onto Christ who counsels and comforts the weary. So go ahead and open your Bibles uh, this morning to Psalm chapter 110. Uh, You can turn to your Bibles, you can tap to your Bibles, whatever you prefer. The reason why I chose uh, Psalm 110 this morning is because Psalm 110, as you're going to find out, is just dripping with gospel truths. The Holy Spirit through David, this is a clear indication of Jesus being king and his gospel. 
And seeing that the gospel is a pillar here at Redemption Hill, we, one, want to share the gospel with others, and two, we want to continually preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And the second reason that I chose to preach from Psalm 110 is because it is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Now, we believe that all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But some, some theologians have coined this as God's favorite Bible verse because it's quoted so many times. It doesn't mean that it's better than anything else or better than other verses, but like we like to quote movies a lot, doesn't mean they're our favorite movies. I ask Andrea what movie quote I quote all the time, and apparently it was from the movie Caddyshack, which is not by far my favorite movie at all, but we all do it. Josh and I quote uh, Ace Ventura, I think, one time a week as we're packing up stuff. So we quote things in life. It's something that we do often, and this is exactly what the New Testament writers did as well. They quote the Old Testament to bring out gospel truths. So let's read Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. I pray that you will open up your word to us this morning, uh, that we will see it for what it is, that we will, we will trust in you to bring us your truth and your gospel from these passages, God. I pray that we will walk out today uh, for those who are in Christ and just uh, feel blessed and encouraged by these passages, God, that you will uh, send us out eager to share your gospel and, and continue to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. I pray these things in your name. Amen. The Lord said to my Lord, what an amazing picture, a glimpse of God the Father sovereignly and omnipotently declaring thousands of years before it takes place that Jesus would be made king. And he would sit down at the right hand of the Father. This beautiful work of poetry written by King David through the power of the Holy Spirit shows us, for lack of a better term, a conversation from God the Father, Yahweh, the God of Israel, to Jesus, God the Son, the Messiah. So being 21st century Christians, we really have the advantage of seeing this text for what it is at first glance. We're just now coming out of the Christmas season, celebrating the birth of Jesus, who we Christians know to be the Messiah, promised from the Old Testament. We know that Jesus came and he established his kingdom, and now we are waiting for his return. So we're currently living in this, like Josh says frequently, already not yet kingdom. So we can read our Old Testaments and see that there was a king that was going to be coming. And in our New Testaments, we read that the king has come. However, 
that then leaves us in the here and the now of why is evil still running rampant? Why are there still terrible things happening? Is Jesus really in control? So this morning we're going to be hopefully answering some of these questions while seeing that Jesus is king, Jesus is priest, and that Jesus will ultimately intercede for us. Well, as David writes in verses 1 through 3, we can see that Jesus is king and is currently ruling over the world. David starts off his psalm saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool. David, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is writing down what the Lord Yahweh is saying to his Lord, David's Lord, the Messiah. This verse here not only shows the nature of the Trinity, of God the Father and God the Son, being co-eternal in both God, but this verse clearly shows that Jesus is King. We just read throughout Christmas season verses that spoke of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. The Messiah would come from the kingly line of David. The Old Testament speaks of David's offspring going to be king and that David's offspring's uh, kingdom was going to be established and last forever and ever. In 2 Samuel 7, we read, when your days, this is God speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So like I said, we get a, we get a zoomed out picture as, and what we're talking about now is that the Messiah has come. But those in the first century, they didn't have what we have. They didn't have the, the New Testament like we have now. They only had the Old Testament. They only had the hope. They only had the hope and the longing for a Messiah, while we now have the victory of a Messiah. You see, the Pharisees in the first century, the high religious leaders of Jesus' time, read all the Old Testament scriptures that we have. In fact, I would actually argue that they knew the Old Testament scriptures better than we do. But you see, their expectations were completely off. They were expecting a great political leader of power to swoop in and break the bondage of Rome. They were expecting someone to come down, set up their throne right there on earth. However, God has planned something much different, something much better that they had planned They were expecting God to send a man, not come down as a man. So we see this exchange play out during one of many times that Jesus is uh, being questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 22. Jesus is being questioned, and then he turns around and asks the Pharisees a question in Matthew 22. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ. Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Remember, they had the Old Testament. They knew this Messiah was going to be the offspring of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he son 
And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is Jesus' ultimate mic drop. No one wanted to ask him questions after this. Jesus presents them with the facts here, and they're like, uh, he knows a lot. We're not going to ask him any more questions. But how, in fact, could David's offspring be his Lord? If the Messiah was going to be an offspring of David, then how would he be greater than he is? I would imagine all of us in the room right now wouldn't say that our children are greater than we are. I wouldn't even say that we would call our children lords. In fact, I would say probably a lot of us would want our children to call us lords. Am I right? Yes? (laughs) I know for me that's right. But what Jesus is actually pointing out here is that the king that they were expecting is much more than just a descendant of David, more than just his son. The king is God himself. This king is God sending Jesus to come down as a baby, to live in this world as a man, to be beaten and crucified on the cross so that his kingdom and his gospel could spread and flourish over all the earth. And this is many times where those questions from the beginning can start popping up. Because we'll read this first part, right? We'll read it, I believe that Jesus is God. Of course, I believe that Jesus is king. But then we get down a little farther down into verse 2 and say, well, I don't know if he's, you know, all the enemies are being put under his feet. I don't know, I don't know if um, what it's saying here in verse 2, the Lord sends from Zion your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies. I don't know if Jesus is currently ruling. I know he's God. I don't see sin and all God's enemies being put underneath Jesus' feet. I see his promises, but he's not being the king that I want him to be. You'll say, I see his promises. He's not ruling and making things better for me at work. He's not making things better for me at home. He's not being the king that I was expecting, just like the Pharisees. So when we went to Florida this past summer, we took the kids to the beach. They all had a great time. There's one in particular moment that I remember sharing with uh, Baisley. We went out into the ocean. I had her on a boogie board. We were probably about waist high in the water for me. And she's, she's having fun. I have her kind of just pinned down on the boogie board. She's splashing around. And then the big waves start coming. And she starts crying, starts crying, says, wants me to hold her. I know we're going to stay on the boogie board. We're going to ride this out. And eventually, you know, if you've been to the ocean, usually there's like two or three like big waves and then like kind of dies down, you kind of get some like little waves. And then a little bit later, you kind of get like three or so more big waves. And when there was a little wave, she was having fun, 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 splashing around. And the big waves would come again. She'd start crying and want me to hold her. I'd say, no, we're going to stay on the boogie board. And then at one point, I looked at her. I said, what are you afraid of? She said, I, I, I don't want to fall in the water. I don't want to go into the water. And I looked at her. I said, you know I'm holding the boogie board, right? She said, yes. I said, you know I'm holding you onto the boogie board. She said, yes. I said, would daddy ever let you fall into the water? She said, no. I said, then why are you scared? 
Oftentimes I feel like we can all feel like that. We all know that Jesus is all-powerful and king and in control of everything, and he's holding on to that boogie board. Yet for some reason, we like Peter and like Baisley start looking at all the waves crashing around us. And if we're expecting Jesus to be a type of king that he's not, like the Pharisees, then we're not going to look to him for safety like we ought to. And we will sink. Jesus is in control of it all. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father while the Father is making all of his enemies subject to him. Jesus not only controls the boogie board, and this is the beautiful part about Jesus being king, he's not only in control of the boogie board, he is also in control of the waves. And that's why we need to trust in him as our king, even with all the waves crashing in around us. We trust because the sovereign Lord of creation has said he will accomplish this. He will make all of his enemies his footstool. The Almighty Lord is the one who sends forth his mighty scepter. And continuing into verse 4, the Lord will not change his mind. The Lord made Jesus king, and the Lord made Jesus priest. Continuing to verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, the Lord commands and establishes the kings and the priests in the Old Testament. In Israel, you had a king, and then you had a priest. The kings were drawn from the line of Judah, and the priests were from the line of Aaron, or Levi. These roles were set up to be two completely separate roles. In fact, in Second Chronicles, we see King Uzziah try and practice priestly duties as king. And we see all these other priests rush in to try and stop him, and he, he gets angry, and the Lord strikes him with leprosy. But there is one man in the Bible who actually did hold both offices at the same time, and this man's name was Melchizedek. He appears one time in the book of Genesis. Melchizedek, who was priest of king of Jerusalem in the time of Abraham, he shows up one time from Genesis, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Do you catch that? Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this one, one, one uh, really section of the Old Testament, we hear of Melchizedek. Then we hear of him here in Psalm 110. And then we also hear about him in Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, we have a letter written to the Hebrews. It's basically setting the foundation for Jesus being the better priest, the better temple, the better sacrifice. You see, there was a lot of persecution going on in the first century during the book of Hebrews. And the call in the book of Hebrews was to a lot of Christians who, to get away from persecution, they started going back to their old ways of Judaism. They wanted to hold on to their sacrificial systems. They wanted to, to just shift just a little bit. We, we, we serve Jesus, 
but we don't want to be persecuted, so we're going we're gonna to start going back to Judaism. And so the book of Hebrews is calling them back, saying, no, Jesus is the better priest. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better temple. So when we read in Psalm 110 in Hebrews that Jesus is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, it brings to mind the amazing reality that Jesus is not a priest after the order of Levi. Because from under the line of Levi comes the law. But through Jesus, through this order of Melchizedek, comes this new covenant. All the priests through the line of Levi continually dying and then just replaced with another priest. All the priests through the line of Levi continually were sacrificing for themselves and then for the Jews having to cover for their own sins in order to cover for the sins of the people. However, Jesus holds his priesthood forever because by conquering sin and death, he does not pass his kingdom and priesthood to another because he did not have to sacrifice for his own sin like that of the priests of Levi. Jesus was the better priest. Entering into the altar and offering himself for the sake of his elect. This great king and priest is the fulfillment of the law. And through him and his sacrifices alone can we be made right with God. God has a new and better plan. And yet the Jews still wanted to hold on to their practices, their religion. They wanted to hold on to the sacrificial system. They were clinging to the law. I think this is something uh, that comes very naturally for all of us to cling on to uh, what we want as opposed to God's better plans. Back in 2005, there was an amazing piece of entertainment that came out called the Xbox 360. It was, thank you, Jimmy, thank you. The Xbox was great, but the 360 came out and it changed everything. Online play started coming out. It was fantastic. Me and my brother wanted one so bad. All our friends were getting them. And it was almost Christmas. And so my brother hears that the Best Buy down the street has them in stock. So a week before Christmas, my parents drive us to Best Buy. In the car, my parents are saying, are you sure? you sure you want to buy this? You sure you don't want to wait? No. My brother goes into Best Buy. We all wait in the car, excited. Finally, he comes into the car. He's excited. He now owns an Xbox 360. My parents turn around and look us in the car. We bought you one for Christmas. But now we're going to take it back because you bought one already. We so often hold tight to what we believe is the better way. Because then my brother started saying, oh, it was better that I bought it. Because now it's mine. Now I don't have to share it. It was better my way, even though I think we can all agree it would have been better for my parents to buy it instead of spending his money as a 16-year-old kid. But he held on to what he thought was the better way. So often hold tight to what we believe is the better way, even when we don't realize it. We all know it would have been better for my parents to buy it, but he held on. We all know that Jesus is the better priest, and yet we can still hold people to the law. 
We know that we've been forgiven by the better priest. And yet we hold on to our shame and our guilt. We have a better priest. We have a better high priest who doesn't have to sacrifice for his own sins and then enter into the Holy of Holies and then sacrifice for us. We have such a high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father. This king who is the better priest than those of the line of Levi sits at the right hand of the Father. This king who's the better priest than those of the line sits there and intercedes for us. And this is what makes Jesus' kingly and priestly office so special. The king of the world sits at the right hand of Yahweh and vouches for you on your behalf because he gave himself to sacrifice for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. Just like the words that in this Christmas song that I sing quite a bit, our God was made low to raise us up. And we need this intercessor. Because like we read in the end of this chapter, it gets a little choppy. Some judgment coming. Picking up in verse 5, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. The Lord has made Jesus king. The Lord has made Jesus priest. And Jesus will intercede for his people. But these verses are talking about those who are going to be made his footstool. All evil, all wickedness in this world are going to be made subject to Christ. Paul even quotes this verse in 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. At the very end, the very end of all things, when the last trumpet sounds and we are resurrected and we meet Jesus in the air, he's going to hand over the kingdom to the Father. And this is after the Father has made everything in subjection to Christ. All evil, all wickedness. So like we asked in the beginning Is this making a difference? Is everything in the culture, is all the sin in the world, should we just keep doing this? Is there a purpose? Every single time I flip through my phone, every single time I turn on the news, evil, wickedness is going on. 
And I, and I want to encourage us today to veer away from, from a saying that I've, that I've heard from pastors before. I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard pastors before say, the world is getting really bad. That means things are getting really good. And I want to push against that and say, if things are getting really bad, that means there's work to be done. That means the gospel needs to be shared. That means we need to love our neighbors, love our community. Not look out at the different political parties and fight amongst each other and find people who don't agree with certain ways that we do. It's to share the gospel. Because Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's not sitting, doing nothing. He's in control of that boogie board. He's in control of the waves. And guess what? If you go under the waves, he's still in control. If you want to see Christ as true king that he is, if you want to see him for the better priest that he is, if you want Christ to intercede for you on the day of wrath and judgment, and if you don't know Christ, let today be the day of salvation. And for those of us in Christ, see Christ for the king that he is, the king who is in control of all, the priest who sacrificed himself and lives forever, the Christ who is currently reigning and making his enemies his footstool. I don't know what better encouragement there is to look out and see what's happening in our culture, sometimes in our living room. There are a lot of sinners in my household, usually about this tall and this tall. Sin is abundant and around us, but Christ is ruling. And like it says in verse 2, his scepter goes out and he rules amongst his enemies. Jesus isn't ruling and reigning in a perfect world right now. He's reigning in a world where sin is real, death is real, and as 1 Corinthians 15 said, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Once all evil and wickedness 